Hello, welcome to In Process Podcast. I am your host, Leslie Rogers, and I am beyond honored to have Pastor Meredith is here. And I'm going to make her really uncomfortable and just brag on her for maybe 30 seconds to a minute, Meredith. <laughs> that you can handle. <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we like literally have like a genius on the show. Um, she literally is a genius. She is brilliant. I love uh, hearing the way she thinks and the way she invites us to think about our faith and parenting. Um, I met um, Pastor Meredith when I was doing my internship in seminary and she was my supervisor and the Lord just smiled on me <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> Uh, it was such a pleasure and an honor um, to be with Meredith, but I want to read her bio so you all have all the things. Um, Meredith Miller is a pastor and a writer along with her uh, leading Pomona Valley Church. She helps parents create families that are Jesus-centered, justice-seeking, and joy-filled. You can find her on Instagram at Meredith Ann Miller. Um, I love, love, love um, your church. I love being there. It always, uh, well, it's always, I've been there once, but <laughs> when I go and when I come again, uh, it always feels, um, so light and easy in such a free environment. And I just love the work, um, that you and Curtis have created and what you all do as pastors. And, um, oh my gosh. So yes, I love, love, love. Meredith Miller. Y'all just need to follow her and <laughs> all the things. So, okay, I'm done. That was like a little longer than 30 seconds. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's always so fun to be with you, to be talking with you. And, and I agree. I love our church and I think it feels light, almost like Jesus meant it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Church wasn't supposed to feel like heavy. <laughs> Was it supposed to? Our lives can be, but our life together ought to be easing that up a little. Amen. Amen. Y'all, just to warn y'all, this is gonna be such a real conversation because Meredith and I have really <laughs> it's true. We have really honest conversations. Um, so Meredith, I um have started this series for um the month of March focusing on um, the call stories of women. And so last week um, I invited Pastor Carol, Pastor Dr. Carol Clemens to share how she um, was called not only to pastor, but spent in a missional way to the deaf community. So she pastors a deaf church um, and just how God, like, just, I mean, the whole podcast, I was just saying, wow, because I, that was my first time hearing her story. And I was like, her story, man, like God was just so intentional in like the details of leading her to this deaf community and just the years of um, sacrifice that she has made to learn sign language and to be a part of that and to advocate. I mean, I just am in awe. Um, and so she shared her story and I um, am just asking like all of my friends basically to share their stories with the hopes that our listeners um, women and men will feel encouraged in their own call stories. Um, so much of my story is I was very hesitant to accept my call because it did sound like everyone else's. 
And so I'm like, um, God can't be calling me because I didn't have this like dramatic, you know, story. And really, um, I hope that this episode can help um, break down those barriers and like limitations of how we feel like God is calling us. And, um, and we can be really open to what God has said to us, to how he's inviting us into his kingdom um, for such a time as this. So um, you are a pastor. Okay, so I'm not done bragging on you. So you are... <laughs> Because she didn't tell y'all everything in the bio that I just read. So I'm going to add some other stuff. So um, brilliant um, teacher. You know, not all pastors can teach. So I just want to. So like brilliant, (laughs) brilliant teacher. I remember hearing you for the first time as an intern being like, oh my God, like just very gifted. um, And yeah, just, I, and I think part of that is you lead in such an authentic way, Meredith, and I um, love the fact that um, the way you think about um, your own story and how you invite others has been really just life-changing for me. So I was reflecting, like, leading up to this podcast. I know it's making you so uncomfortable. It's okay. It's going to end soon. Um, I was reflecting about, you know, one of the values of mentorship and um, Pastor Meredith has been a mentor to me in just so many different seasons, even after um, the internship. Um, But one of the things that I remember you saying was like, oh, like, Leslie, you care about that a lot. And I think it was about like, like justice or whatever it was. And so, and I think about that because I think about like, oh, like this is the value. One of the values and benefits of mentorship is that mentors are able to help clarify your values and they're able to see like, oh, this is a running theme, a running thread in your conversations. And so like, you know, you would take me out to brunch and pay for it. Amen for mentors who pay for broke seminary students, amen. But like, and I would just be like, talking, 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 talk, you know? And it's like, yeah, like God um, has given you an ear to hear, like, yeah, you're talking about this, but like God is inviting you to that. And so um, I just, I think that's just such a gift that you have, that you do for everyone. Um, and so I really would love for our listeners to hear about your story. Um, you know, how did you get called to ministry? And I know we use different terminology in different denominations and, and all of that. So use your own language. That works. That works. Yeah. Um, thank you. And it has been delightful to be in a relationship with you over this last, we're, we're going into years, years now. And right. <laughs> that has just evolved and morphed. And, um, it's just, it's a gift and it's a gift to have, uh, female colleagues in ministry. Right. And mm-hmm. to be able to be part of that and support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so my story starts when I was, um, 12 at a summer camp and I was, it was a parent kid camp, um, father, daughter, actually, to be specific up in, um, Northern California. Mm-hmm. And the entire staff of the camp were like college age young people. Mm-hmm. And they had decided to do this summer camp job, but it didn't pay. It was just a volunteer thing to do for the summer. Mm-hmm. And so they do room and board camp already doesn't pay anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. In a future summer, I worked at a camp and I think we made like one twenty-five a week. Um, uh-huh. and I think, you know, I had to sleep in a cabin with students and wake up yeah, and, real. Like, 
use the restroom in the middle of the night to walk them to a restroom down the path, you know? So, um, but they're volunteering and mm. they were just delightful young people, right? They were fun and funny and having a good time and like helpful. And so when you're 12 and you're kind of looking out at this season that just they're automatically cool by virtue of being 20 years old. Right. And yet there was a character level to these young people in this snapshot you got to see of them. And my dad, who was also a pastor, he just really capitalized on the opportunity to talk about the character of these folks of just like, obviously we're having fun, but what are you seeing about them, about what they value, about who they are, about why they would choose to basically forego a summer salary to be able to create this space. And so that was just like through the week and it wasn't heavy handed. It was just my dad noticing like, Hey, we have this opportunity for you as a 12 year old kid to think about what you might want to be like as a 20 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, And the biggest thing that came from the end of that week was realizing that fundamentally this group had created space. They had created space for connection. They had created space to Mm -hmm. God. They had created space to learn scripture in new ways. They had created space for fun and rest that I wasn't going to remember them. I had a sense of that. They weren't going to be in my life. What they offered was space for Mm. something that would continue on for me, right? What God Mm. did in me, what God did between me and my dad, all of those things came from their work. And that was the thing I could understand was, oh, it's a job. Creating this space for others is somebody's job. I want that job. And that just stuck. I mean, like all kids, you have all kinds of jobs you think could be cool. And so you say you want to be that when you grow up and then eventually it will change to something else, right? Before that, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And at one point I had wanted to go like live in South America and be a teacher. And so I just assumed at some point, I probably would not necessarily want to be a pastor, but for that moment I did. And I remember the first time I said it out loud, I was at our church's board meeting. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you did. Uh uh I was, I was still 12 or maybe 13, but the board met in my house and they had with giant dinner table. It was a circle, but if you extended all the leaves, it could seat like 18. Wow. Table. And so the whole board would have dinner. And then when dinner was over, they would go on with the meeting and I would fade out, but I would sit often with dinner because I loved these people. And so before they started the meeting, the first question was, what has God been doing in your life? And everyone's going around the table, just sharing what that is. And I remember how heart poundy it was that I was going to say out loud. I think God's calling me to be a youth pastor. Wow. And thankfully I came from a church where there are women and men sitting around that board table Hmm. and any other major committee that was doing work in our community. There's men and women both sitting around that table. Hmm. And so nobody box, nobody bats an eye, nobody goes, eh, you know, it was like, okay, there that is. And I remember saying youth pastor because I had some implicit sense that there's a cap on women, but I knew that youth ministry was okay. Hmm. Despite all the women I see on our boards and leading committees and preaching in a relatively regular way, I still capped myself at youth ministry, wow. um, wow. right from the for reasons I, I think were just implicit. I don't even know that I could name them looking back, but mm-hmm. that was the beginning. And then it just stuck. 
like it just didn't go away. I just didn't decide I wanted another job. I didn't like, I, you know, loved Spanish and majored in it in college, but I didn't necessarily go become a teacher in South America, like the 10 year old me thought. Um, just stuck. And the wow. gift of that was navigating a lot of the um, biases against women in ministry that are kind of based on silly interpretation and old stereotypes. I navigated those as a teenager and a college kid. But by the time I was in seminary, I was done with all those shenanigans. Like, no more. Thanks for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and there was something incredibly freeing about being 22 and sort of committed. That part mm. was settled. I had sort of done that piece of the work and mm. could get on with the part where I got to enjoy seminary in a school that supported women in ministry. And that was not up for debate again. So professors mm. had our backs in class on the rare occasion that a colleague brought something up. And most colleagues didn't because they wanted to be in a school that was men and women learning together to be who God called them to be. And so I'm grateful for how young I was, mm-hmm. even though being 15, 16, 17, and having, you know, youth leaders from the Bible college down the road, doing whatever silliness they're doing with Paul is kind of annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So I never, I don't think I remember, I never heard the summer camp piece. That is incredible. Um, that, you know, and, you know, maybe this is encouragement for those who feel called to summer camp, children, youth, ministry, uh, because like I would have never known that God um, was doing something like that in summer camp, like with these leaders, you know, a lot of times you think about like, okay, we need to feed these kids, like, like, you know, (laughs) you think about like, how do we keep them safe, how do we make sure they, (laughs) it's like all of them those things and um God was using like your dad and like this entire team to do like an incredible work and it's so interesting that you said like these people are creating space and I feel called to create a space as well and so I think those are just really I mean that just really I feel like opens up our minds as how as to how we think God is working and calling us and all of those things. And so I think you just said so many important things. I do want to ask you, so you said this in a boardroom uh in your house. That's like amazing. This is like so you. I love this. I love this so much. You said this in a boardroom. <laughs> um what was like conversations like with like mom or dad going forward of like had you talked to them before the boardroom or like after like what was that process of like? Yeah I had not I had not said anything out loud. It had just been sitting there. Um which is part of why I was so nervous because I most of all valued my parents just acceptance of me, which was never conditional, but I just Mm -hmm. wanted it. And, um, there was something about knowing it was vulnerable. Like I really Mm. cared about this thing. And, um, so I wasn't actually worried about their reaction for any realistic sort of way. It was just the tenderness of like, I don't know what this is going to mean or how it's going to go. Um, and they were positive and encouraging in the moment. But what I most remember is probably two or three years later, I think I was maybe 15, 16. And like I said, we had um, a very supportive church environment overall when it came to men and women 
being themselves and leading as they were, whatever that looked like. But I had a youth group culture that was a little different than that. It wasn't unsupportive. I was given opportunities to lead and, you know, do some things as far as being a teenager goes, but we did have these volunteers from the Christian school down the freeway Mm -hmm. and they weren't part of our church community. They'd pop in because they were youth ministry majors and undergrad, and they liked our church because we were a little bit bigger or had a little more space to volunteer. So they didn't know anything Mm -hmm. about our community culture and they didn't really care as you know, a lot of us don't when we're young and don't realize that mm-hmm. local churches have cultures that should be respected. And so they would show up and do this, but what about Paul this, but what do you think about that? You know, I remember mm. one of them, I mean, let, let's, how's this for inappropriate? The guy's like, I don't know, mid twenties. I think he's doing seminary at his point. And he says to me as a teenage youth leadership team member, I just don't know how you're going to get married because I mean, the man's a spiritual leader of the home and you're just so strong. I don't know how anybody's going to be able to. Mm. And there's a lot, there's a lot going on in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Including I kid you not. It was the first time I'd ever heard the phrase, the man's the spiritual leader of the home. Wow. That is not how our church understood families, right? Our church understood that you follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if you're partnered with mm-hmm. someone and together you follow Jesus. That's not how yeah. we do families. So it was mm-hmm. a lot of things all at once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do remember coming to my dad who's sitting on the couch in the evening and I sit down on the floor and I said, so can women be pastors or not? Because if I can't, I just want to know now so I can mm-hmm. be done. Mm-hmm. And remember my dad's the lead pastor of this church and supportive of women as best he knows how, but he came through seminary when there were, he remembers having three female colleagues at the seminary that we both went to. There just weren't lots of women around, you know, of those, of those colleagues two went on to be scholars, not pastors, which is a ministry, but a different kind of space. Mm-hmm. So as much as he wanted to be supportive, he didn't have oodles of practice as an advocate. Mm-hmm. And then here I am. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom's leadership gifting in um, the social sector, she did nonprofit uh, space for a long time and then ultimately also did uh, education in the state community college system and watching Mm -hmm. her leadership gifts. And then here I come, it pushed him on advocacy Mm. and what that would really mean to clear space for women, not just cheer for the women that were making space for themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. it it was that, it was me just being like, so yes or no. And mm-hmm. part of the response was one, lots of people who love Jesus think differently about this. Mm-hmm. So we keep fellowship. Mm-hmm. So yes, in that way, it is complicated. And then part two was, but yes, they can. And the people reading it that way are not reading it as well as they should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that blurring of like, it's a parent. So that means a lot, but it's also in a way, like it's my pastor <laughs> walking. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. The scriptural story supports mm-hmm. like, no, the Pauline verses don't mean what they say they mean in that way. Like that's not the right way to read them. And mm-hmm. uh, so that was, that was really important because I had gotten to the point where I was tired of being sort of picked at mm. and I'm too young to know what to do you know? Yeah. So 
but then, I mean, at that point on, it, it was just, there was just lots of support in the community around me. Lots of support from family, lots of support from my church. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was- wow. Oh my goodness. Um, you said you're saying so many uh, powerful things and I, we do have, I do invite um, men listeners, male listeners. And I think you mentioned just such a key point of advocacy. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, um, in any system of oppression, you always need the person who is privileged and power to advocate for <laughs> the oppressed group, whether that's Black people, women, all of that. And so um, I think that, you know, you and your father's conversation is so powerful. And yet, you know, I, I know that I would not be here if there were not males using mm-hmm. their privilege and power and advocacy at the risk of, you know, um, disrupting like the good old boys club, um, at the risk of being shunned. I mean, there is a cost to advocacy. You, you, know, you never know um, at what point like that cost is gonna be like, okay, you, need, you can't be here anymore. You know, you can't, you're gonna get as many preaching opportunities anymore. You know, so I think um, what you just said was so powerful about your dad and his role of advocacy. And I'm wondering like, Meredith, what would you um, say to parents? Because like, so, you know, last year, Meredith and I were doing uh, clubhouse conversations and, <laughs> and I don't even know like we decided on like what the specific topic was, but I feel like it was around this time last year too, like in March. And um, you were talking about, uh, we were talking about women and being called to pastor and to, to our surprise, there were like multiple women who said they had been called at 12 years old to pastor. And I remember like texting you like, what? Like, you know, like this is amazing. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, as I think about like you and your dad's conversation and like the boardroom conversation, like what wisdom, what advice can you give to parents who you know, a lot of parents, like, you know, my mother will say, like, oh, I always knew you were called to ministry, like, from day one, and I'm like, how, like, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, like, and so, like, there are parents who are sensing and discerning, you know, there's something on my child, they may be called to do X, Y, and Z, what, what would you say to them? Um, I think that one of the great things that parents hold well is they often see it early, but they think about when it's wise to name it, Mm. right? It's not always the best move as a parent to name it the first moment you see it. Mm -hmm. It might be good to watch for a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Or it might be good to name like qualities and characteristics without necessarily naming the full calling. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, you'll be real good at that, right? Your kid has something coming up and you just know, oh, that's in their wheelhouse not just because they're skilled, but because there's something deep in them. Mm-hmm. And it's just that parental nudge of going, oh, you're going to be great at that. Mm-hmm. You know, as the parent, there's something deeper, but you're mm-hmm. just encouraging what you see along the way, right? Because part of them growing into their calling as a kid is trying a little bit of them themselves. Yeah. If you affirm too early, you might accidentally make it seem like you're labeling them. And then mm-hmm. they feel stifled because mm-hmm kids so much want your approval and your pride and your love. And in your mind, you're like, of course you've got that no matter what you do, but your kid 
always needs that assurance. And sometimes you think you're doing that. I'm proud. I love you. I affirm what I see in you. And then what they hear is they want me to be this. Oh, mm. no, not. what if it doesn't work out? Because it is so normal for 12 to 18 year olds to be trying on hypothetical mm -hmm. pieces of who they could become. Mm -hmm. What is it like if I'm this? What is it like if I'm that? And that's about things they do out in the world. It's about characters they want within themselves. And that's so normal. But also so much of being young is this sense of like, you are so hyper self-conscious. You're yes. so in your head. And so I think as a parent, having some wisdom about encouraging in pieces, even though you mm -hmm. might see thing, and just mm -hmm. being thoughtful about knowing that there is um, a reality that you might be so right about that call, but you want the kid, you want your child to hear it from God and grow into it through the spirit's power with you as mm -hmm. the child. Mm -hmm. which is a little bit different than hearing it from you <laughs> mm -hmm. and thinking that they have to do it because you want them to. Yeah. And the reality is simply that teenagers are bad interpreters of that. Mm -hmm. So as the adult who is wise, like walk with them in that, you know what I mean? It's just a mm -hmm. big discernment thing you're going to be doing with God as the parent when it's your young person. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there is still so much encouragement you can be offering them. And then I think the other thing you can do as you name and cheer and you're going to be good at this and all those, I think you as the parent can think about what space they might need to practice, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a way in school they can try something that's like in that same kind of vein, but maybe there's not, maybe your faith community has some spaces, but if there's not, right, like I have met some parents who do this hard, courageous thing where it's like, Hey, can our church hold space for who my kid really is? Mm. Because my church cannot be the community that caps my kids calling. Wow. Right. And so if you're in a predominantly white cultured church and suddenly you realize that as a not white family, your kids automatically capped, mm -hmm. you're not going to be invited in, in the same sort of way. It, it might be that you have to move to a different faith community, right? Mm -hmm. If your church is not letting women do things and your daughter has gifts mm -hmm. might be right. Because a lot of times those places don't change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to have to be you as the parent noticing what your kid needs to flourish and you might need to make a move. Um, wow. mm -hmm. And so I just think looking around as the one to be like, where's a space for them to try this, to mm -hmm. experiment with it, to see how it goes. You know, I think through actually a jump, a much bigger jump later. I think I was like 25. Mm -hmm. A decade after the conversation and living with my dad, I'm wrapping up seminary. At that point, I'm engaged to my husband, Curtis, also a pastor, also wrapping up seminary. And then we had two other um, pastors on staff that were doing some seminary stuff that were a little younger than us. I think they were 23-ish. And they are also doing some graduate work. And so my dad took a month of the preaching calendar and each of us got a sermon. And so he went up to the community and said, where do you want young pastors to get a shot? Where do you want them to try and give a sermon? How do you want to find new young leaders wow. to be the church that lets them try? Or are we going to all sit here and always want all the preachers to be glossy and fancy and perfected and like wow. we get to pick what kind of church we're going to be? Mm -hmm. We've got these young people. Mm -hmm. And so he did that. And then for the next four weeks, we each got one sermon. And we wrote it ahead and we rehearsed it on a Wednesday and a couple of staff watched it and helped us. And we like, that was all of our first time to preach. And it was two women and two men, but it was going to the community to say, we get to be the ones who give opportunities or not. So wow. we want to be. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
So I just think that opportunity and encouragement are huge Mm -hmm. without being too heavy handed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now you, yeah, you, you're dropping so many words um, because I just hear like this running theme of like creating space of like you're, you wanted to create space like then your dad creates space for you and other young adults and you're like encouraging parents like hey create a space for your kids and like when you create like when I'm like putting out some stuff and creating a space like I gotta throw some stuff out you know to create like a, a really you know space that I love you know yes, awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there is a version for uh parents of teens especially where the thing you might need to throw out is that um resume you think is getting them into that college Mm. like Mm -hmm. in real real sense is a bit of a tangent but it actually has a purpose (laughs) go for it more and more adolescents are being pressured to build resumes right Mm -hmm. for their 18 year old selves and there's this sense that if they don't do it just right uh opportunity won't be there for them right Mm -hmm. so whether that's specializing in a sport or specializing in an instrument this idea of a teenager having to specialize will work against a teenager discovering their calling Wow. And I will just say, this is one of the weird things about our family and our story. So Curtis, as you know, so Curtis went to Harvard, like Mm -hmm. the actual Harvard. (laughs) Yeah. And part of the reason he'll admit, part of the reason he knows he got in is that right before high school, he moved from a, sorry, is that too loud? Can you hear Mm -hmm. my, we live in a helicopter. uh, Oh, I can't hear it. Sorry. Um, right before high school, he moved from a mid-sized California town in um, the Bay Area to a very small town in rural Michigan, which changed that resume, right? Because now all of a sudden, his kid who plays in the band and plays on the baseball team and he's involved in youth group, but he's from a little town. And that just looks different in the profiles of applicants. And he just knows that's, that is part of it. Yes, he had good grades. Yes, he had good test scores and all of that. Mm-hmm. But what he will say, both from his experience and then now he does test prep, SAT, ACT, meets all these kids with all their specializations and all their pressure and all of that junk. Hmm. They're looking for kids who love what they love. Wow. The myth of the resume is about being specialized so that you show that you're disciplined, so you show that you're committed. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, what they actually want is a kid who's figured out something they love. Mm -hmm. However, like mainstream or quirky it is. You love football, great, that's mainstream, but you love it. You love chess club? Awesome. Tell me why you love chess. And that is related to this idea of cultivating calling in young people. Wow. It is connected reality of what you are most called to be is a whole person who loves Jesus. Say it. Yes. And so if you don't let your teenager get to be a whole person who loves what they love, they're Mm. never going to figure out how to translate that into Mm -hmm. being a person who loves Jesus and does what they do in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That longstanding adage of like what the world needs are amazing doctors who love Jesus, amazing teachers who love Jesus, mm-hmm. amazing janitors who love Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about having to fit the role. It's mm-hmm. about being able to come alive as the person you are. Mm-hmm. And the hyper-specialization resume culture that keeps getting pushed more mm-hmm. and more will work against that. And your job as a parent who loves Jesus is to protect your child from thinking that they are their resume by the mm-hmm. time. Child, you just preach. Um, yes. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just saying. Yes. yes. No, and it's and and you know, it, it really goes into what um we think about like the patterns of this world and um just like an empire mindset of like doing and doing <laughs> and doing. Yes. You know, and you know, we God does God does not entrust us with children for us to rear them to work for their worth, you know, to work for their purpose, any of that. It, it, like, yes, <laughs> Christ, like that is not the gospel. That is not what we believe. Like, and so I just think, um, yeah, we're invited into some freedom here. Of, you know, we're, we're talking about parents and children, but even young adults who are listening, even you know, boomers, wherever you may be, I think there's this temptation of like can I follow Christ and my calling or like, do I need to be focused on like getting a check, you know, and, and how does that work and how can that, how can that, you know, be combined? And so, huh, Meredith, oh my gosh, I, I do want to ask you another question about, you spoke about um, parents who may be feeling like, okay, how do I create a space for my children to practice and to, to be who they are, right? To come alive. Um, I do want to ask you a question about like, you know, for women um who are like okay I think I may be called to pastor I think I may be called to ministry and they may not have a space where that is okay like what advice would you give to them yeah it's hard I think that um the wonderful thing about now is it's easier for us to find one another than it might've been in past iterations. We're not limited to whatever women are in ministry in our geographical spaces. We can find women in ministry through digital spaces. And so that would be the first thing is to start building some connections with other women who are doing ministry kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, not only for the sake of having colleagues, but for the sake of imagination. Mm. Because since there's such a long-standing sense of limitation, Right. You could be an international missionary, a women's pastor or a children's pastor. Yeah. That's and it. that's it. There's the end yeah. of your list. Mm -hmm. And so then there's, you know, one, you might actually want to be one of those things, but maybe not in the way it's been done before. So then you need imagination for how to continue to be those things. But it's not because you're just staying limited to a box put upon you, but because you really want to. Mm -hmm. Or you might be wanting to go into a different space that is not any of those three. And you need imagination for women who are doing the other kinds of ministry roles that are newer in terms of being available to us. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a big thing is to just start building a sense of digital collegiality with other women mm -hmm. in the space. I also think along the way, you will find men who are advocates mm -hmm. and too. It's not just that you're going to find other women. Mm -hmm. uh, digital community will help you realize there are a great number of men who are moving into that space mm -hmm. um, to cheer for us and who are really thrilled to see us succeed. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you don't have them in your community close by, you can build that community that way. And then I think, um, I think there's just a reality that God is bigger than these structures. God's bigger than these structures. And so I don't know how long it'll take you to get out of that one, but I'm so convinced about God's desire for equitable and mutual communities mm -hmm. across all versions that are disempowering. 
Mm -hmm. that it simply must be that there will be a space for you at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think there's something to then, how do you prepare as you wait? Mm. And that answer is just, it's for any person to discern with God. What does it mean for me to prepare as I wait? Does that mean I'm writing? Because someday I'm going to preach. Does that mean I'm listening so that I can get new ideas from other kinds of preachers? Does Mm -hmm. that mean I'm doing some educational stuff, whether it's formal or informal? Um, What does it look like for you to prepare while you wait? Because Mm -hmm. you will know that you've been preparing. Everyone else will think a switch flipped Mm -hmm. and opportunities just showed up. Mm-hmm. you will know it's years deep and then the moment will come and everyone will go wow mm-hmm. right so the first time you heard me preach was the first invitation I had for Willow I got to just do two sermons for them in their midweek community which was wonderful and so fun mm-hmm. and there were definitely people that very kindly but they're going I had no idea <laughs> yeah and at that point I'm religious studies undergrad, seminary MDiv, mm-hmm. years in vocational ministry, wow. curriculum writing to figure out how to, if you can make these concepts simple and clear to children, then you're mm-hmm. preparing yourself to make them simple and clear for adults because it's hardly any different. Yes. And so to so many people in that community who don't know me, don't know my story, it's this all of a sudden moment. Wow. Look at you breaking mm-hmm. out. That was not a breakout moment. That was mm-hmm. a prepared moment. Mm-hmm. there was a lot of waiting mm-hmm. and a lot of trying to figure out how to be a good steward of what I thought God had put in me. Mm-hmm. So that when that moment came, I had something to say. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would just say that preparing waiting combination season is hard. Mm-hmm. So don't give up, don't be discouraged. Mm-hmm. It is, it's kind of isolating. It's kind of lonely. Mm -hmm. It it leaves you kind of wondering if you're just missing it. You Mm -hmm. will absolutely hear the enemy's voice saying that this is about your ego and how you want platform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And part of the preparing is learning how to shut that voice up Mm. because that voice only gets louder. Once you actually start doing other kinds of ministry that you feel more aligned with Mm. that voice won't get quieter as you move into higher alignment. It will get louder as you move into quiet, you know, more alignment. And so practice early. Quiet. Meredith, <laughs> I, I have been to church. Amen. <laughs> Y'all can cash at Meredith because this is incredible. Um, yeah, you know, I I love the fact that um, our callings are not owned by people, right? Like God calls us, like period. And so, like, I think what you're saying is so powerful for those who are listening um that you know there are a lot of spaces as you mentioned earlier that sometimes in churches we can um want the glitz and glamour of speakers and very polished looks um but like the holy spirit like doesn't work like that in terms of like calling and like stirring up gifts and like speaking and like very countercultural to what we see now in church and so i I love the fact that, um, yeah, just that God is preparing a, a place, even as our listeners are, are listening, like God is preparing a place for you and a people for you. Um, and that right now may be lonely and 
but that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the book. Uh, and so I love, and, and that's part of the reason too, why, you know, meeting you, Meredith, was so powerful for me because I remember um, you and Curtis invited us into your home and just seeing how y'all did life was like, this can happen. This, like, I tell you that all the time, like, this can happen. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, I just, I think your very life is just a prophetic witness against today's culture so thank you um okay so one more bragging point on Meredith she gives amazing benedictions I just want y'all to get prepared I asked her <laughs> could she do a benediction and yeah if you, if you were on clubhouse with us last year you witnessed that um but yeah Meredith any last words that you would like to live our leave our listeners with and could you please give us a benediction so let's see, last words. Um, I think that what you said about empire mindset, like that needs another, we need to circle around on that as a last word, mm -hmm. um, right? Empire is going to empire. Mm -hmm. And so if you are wanting the validation of the empire, mm. you're going to work real hard and you're going to run yourself into the ground and it's never going to come. Mm. And empire mindset creeps into churches. Mm -hmm. It does. And so sometimes that means we're looking for our faith community to align with the Holy spirit, mm -hmm. but an empire mindset has taken root in that community and they're not going to see you. Wow. But that doesn't mean you're wrong. And that doesn't mean it's not the spirit moving you. Mm -hmm. You know, when you and I met, we were in a church where not all every, by any means, and yet there's an empire mindset to that mm -hmm. particular church. Mm -hmm. And so I think of you specifically, that place wasn't going to see you. Mm -hmm. And so if you look and say, but it's a church. So mm -hmm. clearly if I am becoming who God's made me to be, the people of God will respond. Yeah. But there's a wisdom and a discernment to saying, okay, but when I see an empire mindset, empire is going to empire, and I'm not going to get caught up in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a very, mm -hmm. uh, deep reality to saying this is the practice of saying i'm going to trust god mm. I'm, I'm putting my trust in yahweh god and not in pharaoh mm. mm -hmm. what's going to protect me what's going to provide for me what's going to give me the opportunities i think i'm genuinely being invited by god into mm -hmm. um and i think everybody in their story has some version of having to figure out what it looks like to say no to an empire mindset I just wow. think you're so right about that. So right about that. Mm -hmm. All right, by way of benediction. Okay, so excited. Yes. <laughs> oh. May the God who created male and female as image bearers expansively blessing humanity to represent them remind you that you then are a representative. May you know your identity, no matter what the empire says about who you are. You aren't made to work for Pharaoh. You're made to build the kingdom mm -hmm. against which no power of hell will prevail. So carry on in the name of our triune God. Amen. I told y'all, amen.
Amen. Thank you so much. Um, it's such an honor to have you on here, genuinely. Um, and can you um, share how people can follow you on social media again for those who may have missed it? Yes, uh, I primarily write on Instagram. I'm there as Meredith Ann Miller, and with an E. Um, and then I, every now and then, uh, do some speaking or preaching or whatever, and that all kind of lives in my website, um, which is just MeredithAnnMiller.com. And if you're a parent, I send out a newsletter every six weeks or so where I try to speak to a parent question and a kid question and then do a Bible story breakdown to just keep helping encourage families to feel like they can have meaningful faith conversations without being experts. Um, so there's a link to sign up for that either on the website or on Instagram. Um, and that just comes as an email. So those are kind of the places I'm doing stuff right now, but I'd love to meet you there. Wow. Please follow her. Um, I know that you all were blessed. Please give us uh, some feedback. I would love to pass this on to um, Pastor Meredith um, to bless her. As you can see, she's a clearly blessing to my life. Um, and I know she's a blessing to you all. So with that, have an amazing day wherever you are. It's daytime in Chicago. Um, and I will see you on our next episode. All right. Bye-bye.